<laughs> Season one, episode five. Welcome to the Show Me Comics podcast. I'm Tim Pickerel, digital media producer for Show Me Comics. And I'm Jordan Taylor, writer extraordinaire for web content and also the scripts for our graphic novels and comic books. And I'm Sam Richardson, the penciler, the inker, the colorist, and the mystical being. There we go. Well, today we're going to be talking about uh, drama in storytelling, I guess, is the broad umbrella topic and specifically how it pertains to comics, but we might use other mediums to highlight what we're talking about when it comes to drama. Sure. So in one of the previous podcasts, we were, we started to talk about the difference between dramatic storytelling between like Marvel and DC and some of its characters. And we decided that we were getting off topic. So we wanted to dedicate an entire show to this. So I think, uh, I think we were basically starting with the good and bad side of the, uh, the types of drama that certain publishers use. And before we get into this and people start listening to us either have pros on one publisher and cons on another publisher and you're sharpening your long knives to come and get <laughs> us in the night. Hey, we welcome that. This is an interactive medium and we want you to drop comments or send us emails uh, if you disagree or agree. So uh, feel free you know, to start uh, sharpening those long knives, but just send them digitally to us. So go ahead, Sam. You had a uh, I think you were pro Marvel. Is that what I got the sense? Right. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily say pro Marvel. It's just whenever I look at the different ways that the the two big comic book companies told stories. You know, I always thought DC is more of a very traditional in which they lay it out and say, okay, well, this is almost like cliche. Like this is cliche comic book here, mm-hmm. and how we're going to approach this story. Whereas Marvel takes things from a much more uh, mm-hmm a much greater dramatic effect. Uh, and I think it has to do with the philosophy that both the companies, you know, were not necessarily found on, but what became you know popular through, uh, you know, if you look back at, at, at all the original DC superheroes, when you're looking at, you know, Hawkman and Superman and flash, uh, a lot of them were based off of like Greek mythology, you know, not necessarily based off of them, but they were influenced heavily through Greek mythology. Whereas Marvel, especially in the 1960s, it was, you know, science. It was all these characters that were somehow, you know, gamma radiation or Spider-Man was bit by a radioactive spider or the X-Men were, you know, (laughs) these mutants. They called them the children of the atom, you know, and that right there already striked a huge, you know, contrast between what DC was doing, you know, with their heroes and how Marvel was bringing along their heroes. So how does that feed into drama? Uh, how they were able to Marvel used more of what was going on in society at the time in the 1960s. There was, you know, people were really getting into science. You know, you were starting to get that, uh, that difference between, you know, these old school people where it's more, you know, religion based and gods where with, you know, Marvel and where there was a huge cultural, cultural shift going on in our country with the people who were, you know, uh, the hippies, you know, the people that were more coming in, hey, let's look more at science at the side of everything or just uh, what was going on with civil rights yeah, at the even time. Beyond, they were, even beyond science, like the X-Men is basically it, a huge exactly, quality. Exactly. Under like civil rights issues in and all that stuff. And Marvel was 
was brave enough to bring that into their books and tell stories with it, where DC still wanted to play it safe. It's kind of like, okay, we've got our big superheroes over here, but we're scared to actually tell stories that are relevant to today's society. And so it left their books very cliche and flat. Yeah, I would say that's one component of it. The whole, you know, kind of uh, contra- the controversy factor, I guess you could call it, um, when you're talking about something that's relevant uh, to today. Hey, we're going to talk about this and we're going to put it in your face, even though, you know, everybody is thinking about it. It kind of makes like a controversial spin. Uh, Not necessarily what- controversial. I just think they were mirroring and reflecting what was going on in society at the time. Like uh, DC was not doing well until they finally decided to say, you know what, let's kind of buck the comics code and tell a story about drug abuse. You know, when they brought in the whole story of Speedy and him taking heroin, because at the time that was like a huge thing, you know, that was going on in our society here in America was, you know, it was the drug issue and how, you know, kids need to be aware of how dangerous it is in comics. Man, DC was staying as far away. DC was painting this picture that, oh, no, everything's still cotton candy and rainbows when it wasn't. And Marvel was already using comics as a form of saying, hey, kids, look, if you take this stuff, there's consequences. We're not just going to ignore it. We know you're doing it, but maybe here's a way that we can help out or make people more aware of it. And DC, it took them a while to finally catch up. But because of that, the stories they were able to tell with it, like it was, you know, very emotional and it impacted way more people. So I don't think they, it wasn't done as something controversial or a way to say like, hey, we're being edgy so much as it's like, well, this is going on in society. Let's catch up with the times. Yeah, I think that's definitely a a good way at the surface to take a look at it. But how I approach it as a writer, and this is, you know, for you aspiring comic book writers or just writers of any kind out there that, you know, are struggling with drama. Because that's kind of like a capital D word that's like mysterious, you know, how do I do this? Mm, um, For me, as a writer, understanding the concept of drama is it boils down to conflict. And that's really kind of the lowercase c word that, props up that more capital letter word. Um, And so when you want to talk about that DC being based on a lot of mythology and magic and things like that versus, well, what's made Marvel seem really edgy or dramatic was because a lot of times the Marvel characters, they came with limitations and limitations have an implicit conflict there. Oh, definitely. Uh, You talk about, okay, Um, let's use Superman as an example, right? You really kind of get a sense that there might not be a whole lot of limitations to what Superman can do. Right. And inherently that kind of is a conflict deflator right there. It makes him like, I've never been a huge Superman fan mainly because of that. It's like, he's supposed to be, you know, faster than a speeding bullet, impervious, all that stuff. It's like, well then a Superman comic should literally only be like three pages long. Right. And not right. interesting in the least. And I don't I don't find Superman all that interesting now, until there are more super, recently. There are Superman stories that are well done, you know, but it, it's a struggle. And a lot of the things that people liked about <laughs> – let's take the Hulk as a perfect example of, um, you know, conflict in storytelling and where it comes from his character and his background is, you know, his power is inherently uncontrollable. You know, it comes out at some of the worst times because it's anger and emotionally driven. Uh, that right there is a recipe where you're like, creates Definitely. tension, creates conflict. And so it's going to have a more dramatic feel. And you can look at, uh, I mean, X-Men, you know, look at 
they have mutant powers, right? But each one has a set couple different things they can do, and that's it. And they kind of, it's a great team dynamic, and what makes X-Men such a great team thing is because this person over here will have a couple different powers, but they fall short. And then this other person over here has a different set of powers that maybe amplifies the other person's shortcomings or shores it up. And, and that creates a great playground to just throw these characters together and, you know, play off their limitations and what conflicts would arise. It's the classic writer question. What if, you know, and, you know, you back to the, bashing on Superman, you think, well, what if this happened to Superman? Well, he'd probably just punch through the wall and right, fly right. over the thing. And um, it's harder to create drama without limitations and without inherent conflict. So then they introduce kryptonite and then everybody and their brother seems to be able to get kryptonite. So it's, it's, it's a horrible, <laughs> right, it's a yeah. horrible crutch for your character. But that's where I meant, that's where I felt the, the cultural difference between the two companies played a big role in that. And the DC was still trying to like latch on to the 1950s. They still wanted to stay in that era where everything was perfect. You know, your heroes can't be beaten. You know, you just want the story where the big guy with all the powers comes down and wins and everything's nice and good. They were scared to kind of, you know, get away from that where... Marvel was catching up with the times in the sixties. We saw not everything is perfect. People have faults. Like you said, they have limitations. Look at, you know, with, with the Hulk, like you said, Hulk's got rage issues. He's not a, a perfect guy. He's got these problems. And when you bring it out, he's not nice. Where in DC, you know, again, they wanted everything to seem like it was that 1950s America. Everything's nice. Everything's good. The good guy always wins. He has no faults, and he, he always comes out on top. Well, and it's hard to tell good stories if the good guy can't be seen as bad or he can't be beat. That's one of the – like the one thing – correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but when Batman started in DC originally, it was a lot – darker and edgier than anything DC had before. Way more. And what ended up happening was it's like, okay, this is too serious. We need to give him a young sidekick and make it a little more you know, campy, right. which basically gave birth to the Adam yeah, West that's Batman. When, yeah, when you look at like uh, from a commercial and financial standpoint, when, when Batman, when Superman, when a lot of those early 1930s characters were created, uh, comic books weren't necessarily for kids. It was kind of seen as like... Uh, just a little thing for adults to pick up, look at, oh, wow, but, hey, you know, selling-wise, it wasn't that popular. Like, comics didn't become, like, a big hit until right after World War II, and it was with children. And that's where DC and a lot of the, the funny pages came on, and comic books were something like that, that, like, to be seriously, you could get into and make money with and actually sell. And that's when DC kind of, you know, in the 1950s, they had their niche, and it was. It was selling really well, but is, you know... The next decade came in, and as a society, our country changed. They didn't want to change with it. They wanted to stay in that little 1950s fluffy bubble. But the stories they were able to tell just, you know, it really took away a lot of what I think they could have done creatively, where Marvel said, you know what? You know, Stan Lee was a guy that said, let's change with the times. If this is what culture's doing, let's go with it. And so they were able to tell much better, more dramatic stories where DC got lock in that little 50s era we're in the 30s you know i mean look at our culture in the 30s you had gangsters and people out shooting well you had the depression you yeah. know you had imminent war on the brink well, and it actually wasn't a nice fluffy time it wasn't you know cotton candy and rainbows in the 1930s so when people turned to their stories they kind of wanted an 
you know, infallible hero because they're like, hey, the real world has enough conflict and drama. I just want to kind of tune out for a second and see a world where the uh, good guy does always prevail. Right. Yeah, and I just feel Marvel changed with the times and uh, they were able to tell much better stories with that. Where DC just, uh, it took them a while to catch back up. And I think because of that, they always got, you know, people looked at DC as a certain way and Marvel as a certain way. And uh, to this day, they still kind of like have that, you know, imprint of this is the DC way, this is the Marvel way. But, you know, some of that, it's, it's almost a little too late to change. So, how do the lessons, I guess, that we've kind of observed from other stories and other companies and stuff how has that played into our own storytelling oh there's a scene in the book that i don't want to talk about because i want the listeners to have a chance to actually read the book so we're going to keep this spoiler free then. yeah this is spoiler free but there is a scene that is uh, significant to the overall impact of uh you know of our character akiko um and kind of what uh what brings her uh i don't want the best way to put this is it not necessarily, you know, turns her into a hero, but I mean, it's kind of like that turning point to where, you know, she makes a certain decision and, uh, what happens in the scene, I think it's very relevant to what's gone on the last, you know, 10 years in our society. And it's, it's an issue that I think a lot of people probably would have strayed away from. And I don't think it's always good to take controversial subjects and stay away from it just because you're worried people might be offended. Sometimes I think you can approach that and you can do it in a way that might actually comfort others or make them feel better about it. And so, you know, this particular scene, and hopefully you listeners will, you know, read the book whenever it comes out, you'll know what I'm talking about, but very much reflects, you know, on our current society. And we weren't afraid to tackle that head on. And I feel it plays a big role in the story. And without it, you know, you're going to get a much uh, less impactful story. Yeah, well, I'll talk another thing, too, and this is back to conflict. I know when I was writing the character of Akiko, um, this second time around in the, the product that you're going to get from Show Me Comics and the, the Hafu graphic novel, it was actually kind of a reboot of a story that we had done previously. And in that incarnation, the main character was kind of the anti-Superman. I actually had her going through the pages with an internal monologue where she was kind of cold and heartless and just thought that she was very arrogant. And when she would be confronted with uh, a challenge, whether it was, you know, beating somebody up or uh, going down and for revenge, making somebody pay her inner monologue was like, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I'm so cold and I'm so badass you know is a way to kind of put it bluntly that if the reader was reading that it's like well there's no internal conflict there she is you know whatever the situation is she's just completely 100 percent confident it also yeah makes her unrelatable yeah she becomes a robot she's unsympathetic and there there's no conflict there which you know as a starting out and being a writer i didn't notice that i was just like oh we're just gonna make her cool we're just gonna make her awesome you know she's just gonna be uh this force that has to be uh reckoned with and i say the anti-superman because she was kind of mean about it but if you think about it it's the same thing we talked about at the beginning of the podcast where um you know the outcome of what superman's gonna do before he even does it Right. So you don't get that, you know, character internal kind of conflict. And the second time around, I wanted to, 
you know, make her unsure of herself, make her kind of, you know, um, unconfident in a lot of places and then see her grow into where she, with confidence, now you're kind of wondering, well, what decision is she going to make? Because the confidence is kind of a new weapon in her arsenal, so to speak. And hopefully that adds a lot to the drama of this incarnation of our story that I missed in the first go round. The other thing that adds to the drama of our story compared to say a Superman or any, any of your standard uh, superhero comics is that those are monthly comics and they basically are under the impression that this comic's going to go on forever. Right. So no matter what, there's no real tragedy that could befall the main character oh, definitely. beyond a certain a point. point. Like there's no, like even death of Superman. I, I hate to keep going back to Superman, but even the death of Superman, you knew the, the, they even had at the end of it, like next month, like here's the ramifications. Right. Of the death <laughs> right. of Superman. Yeah, right. It's like, well, you're not going to keep having a Superman comic with no Superman. And so, you know, at some point Superman had to come back. That's interesting. That's actually, uh, you know, there are a lot of really good books that are written in first person, um, but they say that when you write a book in first person, one of the things that you lose right off the bat is, you know, the main character lives, right? Because they couldn't be telling their story, um, yeah. in past tense. Well, if... unless you're Kevin Spacey in American beauty. All right. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I think that's something we couldn't, you know, drive home enough about show me comics, you know, is that our comic books aren't created to be, you know, these unlimited series inside of a universe, you know, as with each one, we approach them as like, this is a single story we have to tell. And we're not scared to kill off characters if we need to. In fact, I don't think at any point we said that even this, you know, Akiko character is going to be alive by the end of the book. You got to pick it up to find out, but we're not writing it expecting, yeah, we're going to have a whole franchise based off of this person. It's this set story. And if they've got to go, they've got to go to serve the purpose of the story, not to keep them around for commercial reasons. Well, and uh, on that, since we're talking about the subject of drama and how to kind of figure out how to do it well, is <clears throat> drama is not always just people dying. The, if you dig deeper and kind of scrape away the exterior layers of that, what drama is really about is loss. You know, is there a potential for loss? Whether that loss happens or not, you know, the reader has to kind of believe it. So... You know, death is one kind of loss, but there's many other kinds of loss that you can have for your character. Oh, yeah, that's that's a great point. And to go back, you know, to the whole Marvel-DC uh, contrast is, again, Marvel wasn't afraid to show loss. They weren't afraid to show faults in their characters, and that's what made them more human. And that's what made for better storytelling. Right. I'm imagining Tony Stark was probably the first open alcoholic oh, right. in the comic book right. universe, but even it, though it didn't happen until like decades after the character was established. Right. So I think it was, it was like the late seventies or early eighties, but still it was, again, it was Marvel not being afraid to go with the times to say, Hey, here's one of our characters. And guess what? He's not a bulletproof guy. That's completely invincible. He has huge faults. He has huge problems and the reader can relate to that. They go, okay, yeah, I get this guy. I want to know more about it. And again, that's character conflict right there. You right. know, you know that, hey, this guy's got all these great powers, but he also has this great potential to screw it up all the time, you right. know, because of this fault that he has. Mm -hmm. And we talked about limitations in terms of superpowers, but there's also limitations in terms of, you know, human powers 
and alcoholism being one of those things that is a limiting factor. If somebody's living with that disease, how does that play out in your story? What conflicts arise and those conflicts are what gives you your drama. What are some other examples from, uh, let's, let's keep it to comic books, but that you've really liked a character and found good drama because of conflicts that they've had. Uh, okay. So now this, this is a good example of where DC did something right. It, of course it took them until the 1980s to do it. And this is where they finally started to change with the times. And most of that was due to one of my, one of my comic book heroes. And that's Frank Miller. It, because DC was seen as this squeaky clean company still holding on to the 50s, uh, in the mid-1980s, they allowed Frank Miller to come in and take that and just flip it right on its head. Right. You know, in the 80s, entertainment was all ready to jump into. You had RoboCop, you know, which was an insanely gory graphic film. Like, things were becoming gritty and darker. And, uh, you know, Frank Miller kind of stepped up to the plate to DC and said, hey, look. You know, we got to change with the time. So he writes this story about Batman. <clears throat> and you talk about it not always having to do with death, but to do with loss. And it's like, here, we're dealing with Batman who's at a loss of his youth. It's Batman at 50 years old. And he just, he can't be Bruce Wayne. Batman is something that's inside of him. And he's been trying to hold it back for so long. So he decides at 50 years old, he's going to put his costume back on and go out, you know, and fight crime. But it's like, he's not a young man anymore. Right. You know, so he has to deal with that. The loss of his youth. How do you go on and be, you know, this person that, that you know, this, this character that's inside of you? How do you do that whenever you don't have superpowers? You're only human. And what made you so great at what you did, you don't have that anymore. And you don't have a magic knee brace that makes you kick through a wall. <laughs> <Right>. Absolutely. <laughs> But I, I thought that The Dark Knight Returns was a great example of, you know, a story where it doesn't matter like death, but he still, there was some that he lost. There was a lot of tragedy to that, but it was an example of DC finally changing with the times and grabbing and saying, hey, you know what? It's okay to get a little bit gritty. It's okay to take things and make it dark and explore a lot of faults. Batman definitely was not a nice guy. You know, I know Frank Miller said in interviews he based Bruce Wayne in that story off of uh, uh, Dirty Harry, you know, from the right. Clint there, Eastwood movie. Absolutely. You know, where here's Batman was always presented until that time, you know, it was like the Adam West Batman, the, you know, gee golly shucks, you know, and his sales were like really dropping down. But after Dark Knight Returns, you know, boom, Tim Burton makes the Batman film. And that was kind of the beginning of what eventually led to all these comic book movies now and comic books eventually getting taken serious. So... Yeah, I, and I'll use a an example, and not necessarily of loss, but of character conflict that I'm working with in our project, and that's uh, we have a detective character, and what I used for a dramatic element uh, or a point of conflict for her was she's this awesome, like, super cop. You know, she is just completely driven, workaholic, and that workaholic is because she has this huge sense of justice, like right and wrong kind of thing going. And in her early uh, career as a police officer, that's awesome, you know, because she is like a rising star that just shoots up the ranks. And then what I want to look at later in her development is, well, now that she's a detective and she has to kind of play the more political game, you know, and, and really get into following the rule book, her sense of justice is at odds with that. And it's in conflict because, okay, if she sees somebody do something that she thinks is morally right, 
well, that might not necessarily fall in the legal boundaries. Right. You know, she might find somebody that, hey, they did something. Like, let's say they uh, they always say there's honor amongst thieves or whatever, you know, and you hear about the the child molester that goes to jail and don't worry about it because the other prisoners right. will take care of that child molester. You know, it's like, okay, well, we kind of feel like if that child molester gets what's coming to him, hey, that's awesome. But if you really boil it down to the letter of the law, that's not okay. Right. You know, just in the in the rule books, them going to prison, they got what they were deserved under the law. So her character is kind of more of the uh, high-level moral right and wrong, like sense of revenge and justice and things like that. But as a police officer, that stuff's not going to fly for very long right. if uh, she tries to carry that around. She has to be right. impartial, so black she, and white. She essentially you know? became a cop to be Batman. Yeah, and finds she, out Batman's a vigilante. <laughs> exactly, that's a that's her character arc. So that's uh, similar. Something I did to create conflict, and hopefully that uh, drama will get to see a, a little bit of that unfold in our our book. And if dare I say there is a sequel in the future, we'll get to see more of it. Well, since we're on the subject of DC and Marvel, and I know this goes a little bit past storytelling and i know that again i'll probably get some fan mail from this but are there seriously any green lantern fans out there can you i like the oath or the little <laughs> thing that he says you know what i'm saying <laughs> i like ryan reynolds <laughs> i don't like green lantern though i like, seriously the movie bombed this guy is the worst comic book character ever created his weakness yes. is the color yellow that was the I best part have faults. that is that the best is part a limitation of, was it all, uh, <laughs> Bat, the batman and robin yes that, did that yes. ever did they ever like continue that anyway? i wish they would have but too many of the fans that ruin everything you know were very outspoken then i think jim lee and frank miller were having a hard time hitting the deadlines i wish they would have kept that going because the scene where batman has robin paint the entire room yellow and they're drinking the lemonade it is hilarious and even <laughs> batman says it he's like what kind of weakness is the color yellow <laughs> all right like when you are going to come up with character faults don't make it be something stupid like the color yellow. <laughs> right. I haven't, I haven't read any Green Lantern in the new Fifty Two that they're like that they've been doing for the past couple of years. But I have. I'm, I've been basically reading like most of the most of the Batman stuff and some of the Superman stuff. Like I think their storytelling has gotten a lot better over the yeah. past couple of years. But I still cannot bring myself to buy a Green Lantern comic book. Hey, well, it's especially funny how you have one character in the universe whose greatest strength is Earth's yellow sun, and yeah. then at the same time, somebody yeah. whose greatest weakness is yellow. I mean, yeah, that was to benefit Superman. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> DC can't have Superman looking weak at all. Unless he's fighting Batman. Right. So we've talked a lot about like character creation and the writing aspect of coming up with ideas to create drama. But what about in art? When you're drawing it, what kind of, is there a trick that you can do? Like, let's say I write a line of the script and then you go to draw it over several panels. Do you enhance drama through certain techniques? Uh, you don't want to overshadow what the writer's doing. You know, uh, you talked earlier about our first attempt at this story when we were still kids. And that was a problem I made was I was like, okay, yeah, he wrote it, but I'm the artist. So I'm going to take all these liberties to make sure that I'm showing it. It's kind of like watching a movie with where the characters overact, you know. So I feel like, uh, let's say that you write a line where it says, you know, Akiko looks, you know, uh, disturbed, 
well, if I'm an artist that wants to take more liberties and overshadow the writer, I'm going to draw this, you know, just overblown picture of Akiko with her head down and she's making some weird face. And it's just totally not going to tell this story and it's going to go overboard. So it's like a lot of times you have to like capture that subtlety so you get exactly what is it they're writing. But I mean, it's going to come through what the script calls for. Well, can you think of an example out of our recent project where you've had to deal with a line of the script that intends to have drama and you're like, how do I translate this into pictures? Uh, Yeah, there's a scene and, uh, you know, not to give too much of the story away, but there's a scene where, you know, our main character, Akiko, is talking with her father and uh, Akiko had just gotten into a bit of uh, a bit of physical trouble. She got roughed up a little bit and uh, it's the first time she's actually had like a, a real conversation with her father, you know, where they connected on that, you know, father daughter relationship because yeah, he had been cold and distant right you know, right she's always point. seen her father as a certain way and through the course of this conversation that they have you know he, he actually gives her a little bit of hope that he's not quite what she always thinks that he's been and it's like the transition between at the beginning of the scene she's just furious she's angry at him and by the end of that scene she's almost got like all this hope and then it turns into joy and considering what the uh the circumstances of that scene involves to see her go, you know, you would understand why she's furious in this scene. You'd understand why, you know, that she's so upset. But then by the end, to see her in that situation be as, like, overjoyed as she is, you know, like, that transition there was, like, I could have gone really overboard and screwed the whole thing up. But, like, after actually seeing it, I was like, wow, you know, that's – at the time, that was, like, one of my favorite things that I had drawn in the whole book. Yeah, we did actually talk about changing that scene, too, and then – Later on, you came back, I think, after you had sketched it and said, no, we don't need to Right, right. It. Like, I like the what it captured there is I was like, okay, man, the way that the scene ended, you know, I felt that the art totally got it across and it ends it, you know, like, it has the drama to it, but you get the feeling of like, okay, I, I totally felt that with her, you know, and it's like certain ways that I would position the head or the way that her eyes were looking or like how I would take the panel of where she was at compared to like how I, you know, laid him out in the one next to it. So that the pacing, you know, felt right. So that they still give you that feeling almost like you're alone in this room with those two. But if you throw too much in or the the composition or the angles are off, it totally screws up the flow of the whole thing. But just, you know, eye positioning where she's turning her head and where the camera needs to be the exact same end on each panel and where it needs to be different. Like that was when I felt I got the pacing right on and it totally gets across what you were trying to get with the writing. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's a, uh... It's a challenge for an artist, though, I would think, is because body language says so much. And that's one of the things that makes comics such a different medium when it comes to writing. Um, that That's things you don't have to worry about if you're a novelist. You know, you just tell how they feel inside because you can get inside their head. Right. You know, when it comes to comic books, I can write something, but it's up to you, you know, as the artist through body language to show how they're feeling. Yeah, completely. It, that, and that's the challenge to being an artist in comics compared to actors in Hollywood is, you know, you always hear that the body can, you know, body language, it can show so much expression. Well, when you've got an actor, all it is is the director saying, hey, you know, maybe give me more wave of the hand or maybe give me this. In comics, you have to overcome that problem of, oh, well, I'm an artist. And I can't draw hands very well. <laughs> right. There's so many panels where I'll make sure that a hand's out or that, you know, that I got a lot of this from being a Todd McFarlane fan growing up where like, he's always got fingers doing crazy stuff, but it makes the panel so much more interesting when you see the hands do stuff. And there's so many artists out there that can't draw hands for 
beep <laughs> <laughs> for anything. But it, and, it, and it can screw up the whole dynamics of a page. So it's like, even though I hate drawing hands, it's like I will force myself and I'll probably draw it 20 different times and take pictures of my own hands getting that. But we're just a hand up doing a certain gesture can really tell a story in the panel where if you eliminate that hand just because you can't draw one, it turns so flat. That's yeah, the difference between like two marionettes talking to each other or two people talking to each other. Right, know? right. <laughs> but that's where like the the difference of, you know, comic book medium to acting is, well, if you got an artist they can't draw them very well. Oh man, you've just handicapped what he can do dramatically. Or <laughs> an actor, hey, they just the director tells them to do it and they do it. So our two takeaways from this episode for drama is look for the conflict and learn how to draw hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, that, I think that's a good place to wrap up. All right. So on behalf of myself, Jordan, and Sam, this is the Show Me Comics podcast, and we wish you the best in your creative endeavors. And to direct all your hate mail directly to Sam and all of your nice comments uh, to Tim or Jordan, please visit www.showmecomics.com, and that's comics with a CS because we know how to spell. And same thing for Twitter. We're at Show Me Comics. And if you're on Facebook, because I know you are, we already addressed this in a previous episode, go to our Facebook page right now at Hafu Graphic Novel and like us. Your long knives should be sharp, so go ahead and unleash them now. <laughs>